Pastor John here. This week we have a special guest speaker, my good friend Pastor Zach Ritz from Veritas. He'll be bringing us a sermon from Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9, called The Master of All Masters. Let's join the service and hear what he has to say. All right, good morning, church. Good morning, and welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. My name is John Sellers. I'm one of the deacons here, and it's my honor and privilege to welcome you, whether you're here in the sanctuary this morning or if you're watching us online live or later on today. uh, What a wonderful time it is to worship God with you. So as we get started, you know, traditionally we have some announcements, and guess what my announcement is? We don't have any. Yeah. Right, so Pastor Kay and his wife are out of town, and uh, you are privileged to listen to Pastor Zach this morning. I figure between the two of us, you know, him being this powerful expositor and me wearing a vest, it'd be like Pastor Kay's here, (laughs) you know, kind of so you won't miss him a whole lot. So let us begin our time of worship uh, with prayer, okay? So y'all pray with me. Father, what a wonderful privilege it is to come into your house together. Lord, we come from our our days and our weeks of of things happening and stuff going on, Uh, but Lord, today we want to bring all of that here and set it down at your altar so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. So Lord, help us do that. Help us set these things down that we might be wandering in our minds on this way or going over here on that way. Uh, Lord, if we're worried about something or if we're in fear of something, Lord, we put that right here at the base of your altar and offer it to you so that we can be unfettered as we worship you today. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, there's going to be truth spoken from this pulpit. Lord, let our hearts and our minds be ready to receive that truth and let it nourish us, Lord, as we take that truth out into the world to win souls. Lord, thank you so much. We can't thank you enough because, Lord, we know that we are nothing without you. And so we offer this service as a gift to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's continue worshiping in song. Let's rise and lift our voices before God.
me live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Jesus, the name. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me.
Today, uh, Pastor Jacques is going to speak to us out of Ephesians, and I'm going to read a complimentary verse out of Colossians. Praise God how his word complements itself and reinforces itself. From Colossians 3, verses 22 through 4-1. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. Praise be to the Lord. the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks be to God. All right. We've come to our time of offering, and this is another way that we get to worship God. Not that we have to, but that we want to, right? Have you ever noticed the difference in have-tos and want-tos, right? The, the attitude that's behind a, a want-to versus a have-to. We want to be in partnership with God. And, and by the way, he wants the same thing. He wants to be in partnership with us as we build this kingdom on this earth, as, as we send out the gospel. And that takes resources, doesn't it? Not just money, but time and energy and talents. So as we think about how we want to give, let us think in that way as well. There's three ways to give. If you're curious about that, if you're here in the sanctuary, there are boxes in the back and in the foyer can place your offerings and tithes in there. If you're watching us online, you can use Secure Give or you can write a check and put it in the mail and it's going to go to 46 Winchester Street. Our USPS will faithfully deliver it. So think about those things. Think about how we can contribute to the kingdom of God on this earth. And y'all pray with me, okay? Lord, we don't even know how to thank you enough for your wanting to partnership with us. Lord, you give us all that we have and then ask for a little bit back. Not because you need it, but because you want our hearts. You want our faithfulness and our trust. And Lord, we demonstrate that by how we give. Do we really trust you with what's left to sustain us and meet our needs? So Lord, I pray that whatever might be in the way of that, that you remove it so that we can give freely in spirit and in truth, in Jesus' name. And we've come to our time of catechism, and if you were paying attention, I talked to you last week. <laughs> yeah, I thought we'd change it up a little bit and make sure y'all are paying attention. I introduced to you what our Redeemer was going to be like, and, and that He would be truly God and truly human. So today we're going to delve into the human side of that. So y'all read this, the question with me. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? And then the answer, that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment of human sin. Now the, uh, the adult answer goes on just a little bit, so let me read that to you. That in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin, and also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. Praise God for that, right? So what does it mean to be human? I'm so glad you asked. 
In my work as a mental health counselor, people want to know that I can empathize and sympathize with whatever their issue is. Because if I am in that way, they think I get it. That I understand what their struggle is. And Jesus did the same thing when he came to this earth in human form and suffered and was tempted and went through all of the things that humans go through. His thoughts, his feelings, his actions, right? If you look at the, the root word of the word psychology, it's P-S-C-H-Y, psych. If you look at the Greek word for the word soul used in the New Testament, it's pronounced suke, but it's spelled P-S-C-H-Y-E. Psychology is the study of the way people think, feel, and behave. That is our soul. That is what makes us human. And in the same way that sometimes we struggle with the way we think, right? How many of you let your mind go somewhere sometimes, right? And the way we feel, and sometimes our emotions can, can lead us into trouble, right? And sometimes our actions are what follows all of that thinking and feeling. Then it reinforces itself. Sometimes we can get stuck in that. And guess what? When Jesus showed up, he showed us how to be human. And he did this perfectly. He followed the law of God, the whole law. Notice how it says the whole law, right? I'm wondering if, if any of us struggle with following the whole law of God perfectly. Well, if you're like me, you probably do. Let me read to you out of Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 17. And it starts out with the word therefore. And as Pastor Zach says, what's the word therefore Therefore, <laughs> So you'd have to go back and read a good bit of the chapter 2 to understand what he's talking about. But he set up, the, the writer of Hebrews set up what the Redeemer is going to be like. It says, therefore, verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And I had to work, look the word up, propitiation, it's even harder to say. It means averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. Right? What a wonderful way to say it. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Someone say amen to that. All right? So let's say this uh, question and answer one more time. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? And the answer, that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer for the human sin. Amen. Check, check. One, two. Hey, there we are. Woo! Hey, good morning. Oh my, are you serious? So I actually, like the whole plug-in thing, and then my sermon just fell on. Hey, how about, maybe we should uh, pray. <laughs> and y'all, uh, as I pray for you, uh, maybe you could pray for me? Yeah? Okay, let's go before the Lord. Oh Lord, we love you. Gosh, Lord, I thank you, Lord. Thank you for humor. Thank you for fun. Thank you for brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thank you for Warrington Bible Fellowship and Veritas Church. Thank you for our common unity in you. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father as our good high priest, making intercession for us, not only as our high priest, but also as our perfect sacrifice. And so as we come before you, we know that our sins are atoned for. And Lord, that the propitiation, uh, Lord, of our sin satisfied in the perfect and spotless Lamb of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. It's in your righteousness that we stand and that we come boldly to the throne of your grace in this time of need. We ask, Lord God, for your word. Oh, Lord, for your word to fill our hungry souls. For man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And oh, so Lord God, we come and we come hungry. Lord, fill us up with your word so that we might be filled and be able to go forth in the power of your spirit and so do as you have commanded. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, it is so good uh, to be with you all again. Uh, if anyone new visiting, don't know me, my name is Zach Ritz, pastor of Veritas Church. We meet in the morning. And so, so thankful uh, for Pastor John uh, that while he's away, uh, I can preach for him. So I preach this morning, and I'll be able to preach for you. And guess what? Next week, he's going to come early and preach for Veritas, because my family and I, we're actually going to go out and, and go away for a little bit, right? It's going to be actually our first Sunday completely off. Uh, and so what a blessing it is to be able to have a trusted, faithful Bible expositor, such as your pastor, who's able to step in for Veritas, and that I know he will preach the word and preach faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm so thankful for your pastor and so thankful to be here with you this morning. Hey, uh, our passage is uh, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. The title of the message is The Master of All Masters. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. And yes, a very, very similar passage uh, is in Colossians chapter 3 to, to 4, 1, which Diane read for us this morning. But here is our passage that we're going to work from and dive into Ephesians 6, chapter 5 through 9. I'll read it for us. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven." and that there is no partiality with him. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Hey, how many of you have heard a sermon or have done a Bible study on this passage, uh, and it has been applied to your workplace, right? Like an employer, an employee, right? Okay, so Bible study, heard a sermon. Yeah, me too. And, um, and that's good, and, and we absolutely will get there in our service today. But first, we're going to take an extended time to really look at the first century context, because the words here are not employer and employee, right? They are bondservant, or even in another version, you might see slave and master, okay? 
Now, I think that that's all the more important that we pause and we say, I mean, we do this with every passage, but even for this one, that we really pause and we say, um, I mean, how many of us know the difference between servant, bondservant, and slave in their relationship to a master in first century Roman Christian context? How many here would understand the difference? Because it's all the same word in that relationship. How was that back then? Right, I had, I had to do a lot of research, me neither. I had to do so much research this past week uh, trying to figure out, uh, hey, what's the difference here? Like, what is that relationship? Is it like 19th century uh, American transatlantic slavery? Is it like that? Or is it something else? Right, because uh, today some have shipwrecked their faith in believing that the Bible teaches and condones the slavery that happened in our country and, and in many other places uh, in the 19th century, okay? And so what I want us to do is to take close attention and to make sure that we know, first and foremost, what does God have to say about this idea of slavery and mastery in this first century context? And even within the Old Testament, you'll find it there as well. So, Ephesians 6, verse 5 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters. That word bondservants there is the word doulos. Okay, you guys can say that word. Doulos? Right. It, it, that's the Greek word for either ESV. If you have the ESV translation, right? Y'all use ESV here too, right? Yeah, ESV. And so ESV will either translate doulos as slave, bondservant, or servant, depending on the context, okay? Now, they actually tell you the reason why in the preface, in the beginning, so if you have an ESV Bible, you go all the way to the beginning, and you can look in the preface and see why it is that they do that, and whenever that word doulos is, when I go like this, you guys say doulos, ready? Anytime that that word doulos is used, then they'll actually have a footnote and remind you, hey, go look at the preface, and it explains everything. So we're actually going to go there since we use and we preach from the ESV, both at Veritas and Orange and Bible Fellowship. I thought it would be good for us to actually like, explain that whole preface, what's going on, why are they translating it, sometimes slave, bond, servant, and servant. I think it will help us in understanding the context of slave and master in Old Testament and first century AD, as well as how it's different than the 19th century transatlantic slavery. Okay? Y'all with me? All right, great. Hey, uh, they say, this is from the ESV preface, so you could, I guess, turn there and find it, but a particular difficulty is presented when words in biblical Hebrew and Greek refer to ancient practices and institutions that do not correspond directly with those in our modern world. Such is the case in the translation of ebed in Hebrew and doulos Greek terms which are often rendered slave. These terms, however, actually cover a range of relationships that requires a range of renderings, either slave, bondservant, or servant, depending on the context. Further, the word slave currently carries, for all of us here, modern-day English speakers, whom they're translating for, right? ESV is the English Standard Version, right? So they know that they're translating this old Hebrew word, ebed, and this old Greek word, doulos, to English speakers 
in the modern day. And they know that we will likely try to draw a direct uh, line to 19th century. I mean, for all of us, we would go there with our understanding of slavery. And they're saying, no, don't go there. That's, that, that's not how it was. So this is now, you see the burden, if you were translating, all of you now, right? You, you would know the burden now of saying, well, but it is the word slave or bondservant or servant. So they even say right here, further word, the, the, the word slave currently carries associations with the often brutal and dehumanizing institution of slavery, particularly in the 19th century America. For this reason, the ESV translates the words ebed in Hebrew and doulos has been taken under with a particular attention to their meaning in each specific context. Thus, the Old Testament times, let's go Old Testament first, one might actually enter slavery either voluntary, voluntarily or involuntarily. Now, again, we probably immediately think about entering slavery voluntarily. Who in their right mind would do that, right? Because, again, we're thinking about the 19th century. But in the Old Testament times, uh, this would be either to avoid extreme poverty or to pay off a debt. Okay, what's the alternative with extreme poverty? It would be death, right? I mean, you can't even, you don't even have enough money to feed yourself and your family. So what might you do? You might go to your neighbor's house and work for them. Hey, can I work in your field? Can I help you out? Right? You have some tasks that I can help you with, and I can become your ebed in Hebrew, slave, right? And, and what I'll do as your ebed is I'll help you work, and you'll pay me a wage hopefully eventually I can get out of slavery, go back to my, my home. Maybe my fields weren't producing crops, whatever it was, right, that caused this extreme poverty. But once I can come out of extreme poverty, then I'll go back to no longer being your ebid, right? Released. Or to pay off a debt, okay? So maybe you don't want to fully go on and become an ebid, you know, in, in Hebrew. And so what you're going to do is say, hey, can I borrow or can you lend me? Right, and I will come work for you to pay off the debt. That would all be voluntarily done. Okay. Now, if your neighbor wasn't that rich, maybe you would find a very rich person in your tribe. Right, in, in ancient Israel, you were going to find a real rich person, like Boaz. Boaz was rich, right? I mean, gosh, he had he had plenty of fields, many fields, you know. And you know, according to everything, leave you know for the gleanings for the poor as well, right? So he had many hired servants. He had many ebeds who worked for him. And people would voluntarily, willingly want to work for him in order to earn a good wage and a good living. Or involuntarily. How could that happen? Well, if you had to pay off your debt or trying to escape poverty and you went to your neighbor's house or Boaz's, right? And, and you're trying to work to, to earn an income and save up. What if you have a baby? Then by birth, that child would likewise be in an, an ebid. So that's involuntarily. Or you can be captured in battle. You remember when the Philistines and, and the Israelites battle against each other, and they say, the loser, right, I'll become your ebids, slaves or servants, or whoever wins, or we will become yours, right? And so after a, uh, an army might be destroyed or a town destroyed, you know, fields may be destroyed, then they would take them into their care, but they would have to work as their ebids, servants, right? Or judicial Right, so involuntarily, you're being told you have to a, a, a judicial. Um, what do they have here? Judicial pronouncement. So uh, this would be if you've wronged your neighbor. Okay, you've wronged your neighbor, and now you got to work to pay back. Right. So it's a debt that the elders have come together and said, okay, you have wronged your neighbor in this way, and now you need to work to pay that off. 
Does that all make sense? Are we all tracking? Okay. That's Old Testament. Now, again, we're still probably going to apply our 19th century understanding to slavery, but that would not be applied in Old Testament Mosaic law. No, matter of fact, protection for all in servanthood in ancient Israel was provided by the Mosaic law, including specific provisions for the release of slavery. That means that when your neighbor becomes your ebed, right, or your slave, you still have to follow the Mosaic law. You may not murder them. You may not abuse them. You may not sexually abuse them. There is no, right, there is, you still have to obey the Ten Commandments. There's no committing adultery, right? There's no, you're still under the Mosaic law. That would be murder if you murdered them, right? So they are protected, even though they're in servanthood, or servitude, right? They're still protected by the Mosaic law. Matter of fact, that's why people would voluntarily go into servanthood. They're protected by God, by his law. And even those who are captured, right? Because we might go there too, in battle. You guys know the, the year of Jubilee? No one's a slave forever. There's no uh, forever slavery. But in the, even the year of Jubilee, right? All debts, let's say you had a huge debt, right? Uh, all debts were canceled. Were canceled, right? How many people would like a year, year of Jubilee? You know, like we could use a mortgage and other things. I don't know. Well, I know I could. Okay, so a, a year of Jubilee canceled. All debts and all slaves would have to be what? Set free in the year of Jubilee. And so you'd be set free and you can go back to, you know, if you want to be a, uh, you don't want to be a part of the nation of Israel anymore, you could leave. However, if you were even in captured in battle, a part of the nation of Israel, you would even have to take on the sign of the covenant of circumcision, right? You know that as well. And so they would always be protected by God, by the Mosaic law. They would be blessed along with all of Israel as God's people in the household of Israel. So some would even choose to remain and to stay. There's even a custom specifically for that. Ones would actually choose to stay, right? Receive even an inheritance, become a part of the family. So again, this concept, concept of servanthood can be very, very biblical and good. It's not inherently evil. In the Old Testament, as I've just described it, would you agree? Okay. God's law is good. What about the first century Roman context? Let's go to the New Testament now. So we understand Old Testament. Now let's move to New Testament. It's a little bit different. In New Testament times, a doulos, that's the Greek, right, Greek speaking, is often best described as a bond servant, one who is, in, who is bound as a servant to another. That is, uh, someone in the Roman Empire, officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years, except for those who would, by contract, bound themselves to Caesar's household in Rome, they were contracted for 14 years. When the contract, again, this is a contract, when the contract expires, the person was freed, given his wage that had been saved up over that time by the master, and officially declared a freed man. Now, does either even of these two con these two ideas sound like 19th century slavery, right? So 
So that's why it's important to do these historical studies and why I'm taking so long to do so now before even getting into our passage today. Right now, even in the Roman context, you have the Roman Empire, which is over even the Jews who are obeying Mosaic law, right? And so they have to obey both. But the Roman Empire is above, and this time, the Mosaic law. Now we know that God's law is above all law because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, amen? And he's the one who created all of the world. So really, Caesar will have to give an account one day to the Lord. Okay, so we know that. But nonetheless, the Jews, when they wanted to kill Jesus, what did they have to do? They had to actually get him in trouble with Pontius Pilate. They had to get him in trouble with Rome because they weren't allowed to have capital punishment. They were not allowed to kill him. So they had to tell him, oh, he, he, he thinks he's king over Caesar. We just want Caesar, though, but he's, you know, against Caesar. Ah, right? So they, they have to appeal to the Roman Empire, Roman law, in order to have him be crucified by the hands of godless men. Okay? So now, how does that apply to slavery? Well, uh, in this context, and, and doulos, a, a bondservant, they were not protected. They were not, unlike the Mosaic law, they were not protected by the Roman Empire. So, horrible things could happen. So this is a huge risk to enter into a contract as a free person, to enter into a contract for seven years to another, right, uh, where you're not sure what might happen. Okay, you're not protected. However, in Rome, they're all about glory, okay? Uh, government, glory, right? Rome, glory, battle, glory and battle, glory at home, glory and wealth, glory and prestige, right? Just glory in all things, This is what leads to their fall. But nonetheless, glory is a big part of their society. And shame would be the opposite of that. And it was considered shameful, not glorious, but shameful to mistreat your doulos, your servants, or bondservants. So, um, many actually would rather want to have many hired servants and would actually want people to want to become bondservants of them. Right? Because that would look good on you. To actually have people willing and wanting to become your bondservant. Right? Now that doesn't protect them though for things that are behind the scenes. Maybe they don't, you know, be mistreating them in public. But who knows what happens behind those closed doors. And so it's always a risk when someone enters into becoming a bondservant. And this is why it's really helpful here even in Ephesians 6 verse 5. It's always risky in that time to become a bondservant for seven years. Why would someone do it? Well, as a free man, right, you might not have much wealth. You might have a small house. You might not have much land, but you're free. But what if you want more glory and you're not so good with the sword, right? Okay, so what if you want more glory? Perhaps you would find a Roman Boaz, right, someone who is very successful, very glorious, treats his servants really well, and you're thinking, okay, here we go, under contract with this guy, I'm going to work my way up with good eye service and uh, man-pleasing, right? And I'm going to work my way up to the top, right, and become the greatest doulos of them all, right? And then I'm going to save up all of those wages, and then after seven years, I will come back to my humble abode, and I will make it glorious. See what I mean? But big risk. So that gives us, at least now, the historical context, this idea of, servanthood both in the Old Testament and then now our New Testament times. But this concept of servanthood in biblical, biblical slavery to a master 
is not inherently evil or wrong. So long, again, as it's biblical and in accordance with God's law, many of us are working to pay off debts, are we not? Enslaved in that way, right? Okay. So long as it's biblical, though, in accordance with God's law, with legal protection for all who are in servanthood. It is never okay to treat human beings made in the image of God as property. God's word is clear. Regardless if it's legal in Roman law, regardless if it was illegal in American law, never at any time, God is over all law, never at any time according to God's law are human beings allowed to view other human life regardless of ethnicity and regardless of whether they're born or unborn as disposable property. Amen. So the word doulos, which is often translated as servant in the ESV, comes up in many of Jesus' teachings. Matter of fact, this is kind of one of the central ways he's teaching in Matthew of our relationship to him. He uses this word, calls us his servants, and he our master. Do you guys remember when he told the parable uh, of the master who's going to leave his house in the hands of his servants? Okay? And he says he's going to leave, but he's going to leave them, uh, you know, to be working uh, on the house. And then when the master returns, he finds them sleeping. Sleeping on the job. And then guess what? He says, blessed, blessed are the servants whom the master finds working diligently when he returns. And what is he referring to? Himself as the master who has left for a while, but who will be coming again. May he find his working diligently in his house. Or the time when the disciples, remember they were so proud of themselves, oh man, really feeling that glory about their good works. Their good works. They thought they were so, they were something special, right? For doing all of the commandments of the Lord. Do you know what he said to them? He said, uh, he asks them, who of you have servants of your own who plow your fields and keep your sheep? And they're thinking, mm-hmm, yeah, we, we have some plow the field, keep the sheep. Uh, do you thank them and praise them for doing what was commanded of them? Rhetorical question. No. Uh, they're not doing you a favor. They're doing what you asked them and commanded them to do, right? And they're doing it, not really even ultimately for you, but probably just for a wage. Jesus says, likewise, when you have done all that was commanded of you, simply say, we are unworthy We've only done what is our duty. So therefore, we who are servants of the Lord, doing all that our Master Jesus has commanded, do not praise our own good works, but instead hope to one day hear from our Lord, our Master, well done, good and faithful. Come enter the joy of your Master. So doulos is often translated as servant which could mean even a free man who's being paid for a service, a hired servant. But doulos is also translated as slave or bondservant. Okay, so we know that we're called servants of the Lord, but are we called slaves or bondservants of the Lord? Yes. Matter of fact, uh, Paul, Peter, John, Jude, and even Jesus' brother James all call themselves slaves or bondservants of Christ. 
Romans 6 says that we were all once slaves to sin, but now, 1 Corinthians 6, we've been purchased, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and now we are slaves of righteousness and bondservants of Christ. Now, this is not our only relationship to the Lord, but it is an important one, right? Sometimes people only focus on their favorite like, title with Jesus. I'm Jesus' friend. Or, or, or I'm, we are the bride of Christ. Or I'm a child of God. All these are good. Some people are like, no, we're servants, and that's it. Right? Yeah, okay. Usually that face too, right? Servants. But we are all those things. And it's important for us to have that holistic understanding of what the New Testament says about who we are in relationship to Christ. To know that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. We are His servants, His slaves. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And as His church, we are His body and His bride. And Jesus says, not only do I call you servants, but friends, because I tell you everything that my Father tells me. Not only were we purchased as slaves, but as Ephesians says, we are adopted as sons with an inheritance. We not only serve Jesus' family, we are a member of it. And we have every blessing accredited to our account, never to be taken away. We are his beloved children. So that's our relationship to Christ. But how does this relationship play out, not with us to Christ, but us to one another? That's where Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 comes in. How does that work between you know, a, 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 a doulos and a master in this first century context, even within the church of Ephesus? Well, the general teaching is Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, but we have very specific names given to us with the letter to Philemon. You all remember uh, Philemon and Onesimus and Paul. Paul writes a letter to Philemon. Philemon is one who has, like a Boaz, many bondservants, many doulos, right? One of them, one bondservant, was named Onesimus. And Onesimus, who promised to work for him for seven years, left, ran away, broke contract legally, right? He leaves, he goes, and we don't know how, what happened, and what transpired, but we do know that either by, well, irony and the sovereignty of God, he actually winds up in the same jail cell, Onesimus, the runaway bondservant, winds up in jail with Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's in jail for doing what? Preaching the gospel. So what do you think of the Apostle Paul did? He preached the gospel, right, uh, to Onesimus, and he leads him to Christ, and now he calls Onesimus his son in the faith. And so this relationship is great, right? In jail, now he has a, a brother, right? In, so if, so uh, he has a brother in Christ, encouraging, you know, wonderful relationship. If uh, work ever feels like uh, you're in bondage and in jail, right? Uh, maybe just start leading all your coworkers to Christ. Hey, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, so anyway, so back to the jail cell. So he, he leads Onesimus to Christ, and now there's a great relationship that he has with him. And then I guess they get to talking. So you were a bondservant. yes. What was the guy's name? Like, who was your curios? Who was your master? Who was the Lord? Philemon. Philemon? Get out of here. I know Philemon. The Apostle Paul led Philemon to Christ as well, right? And so you, Philemon, no way. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, hey, here's what we're going to do, right? 
as the apostle, this is his, his, his he says, I'm going to send you back to him with another guy, and he's going to deliver, both of y'all are going to deliver two letters. One is uh, the letter to the Colossians, right? And the other is this letter to Philemon. And so they go, he goes, well, yeah, hold up, hold up. Wait, I'm going to deliver it? No, I owe this guy a lot of money, right? Broke contract with him. Don't worry, I'm going to put that in the letter as well. Wait till you see Philemon. Philemon is also a dear brother, a good man. Wait till you see what happens. So he writes this letter to him in verse 12 and 18. says, I, Paul, am sending him, Onesimus, back to you, Philemon, and I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer, here it is, to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back now forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me, Paul, your partner, Philemon, receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me, Paul, in the same manner as if I were coming to you, receive him as a brother in Christ. And if he has wronged you at all, because you could forgive him in Christ, but hey, you still owe me a lot of money, right? Uh, owes you anything, charge it to my account. Wow, that's Christ-like. That's almost actually like the year of Jubilee, which is a perfect illustration of what happens to us in our freedom in Christ. Oh man, what a beautiful picture this is as, as Onesimus brings this letter and Philemon reads it and he gets overwhelmed with joy for the salvation of Onesimus, declaring him his brother in Christ for his sin debt was paid. And Paul says, if he owes you anything legally, charge it to my account. So at that moment, that means that Onesimus is no longer bound, but is free. So he's free to do whatever he wants. He's free that he could go back to serve Paul in the gospel. That's an option. Let's think about all of the options if you're Onesimus, right? You're free. You could go back and serve Paul in the gospel, taking care packages to him in his imprisonment, you know, caring for him in those ways. You go back and serve with Paul in the gospel. You could stay. You could ask, um, you know, your new brother in Christ, Philemon, hey, uh, can I work for you for a little bit, right? The hired servant, maybe. Maybe be like a doulos, but hired servant thing. Uh, and that way I could save up some money. i kind of been in prison for a while, right? And I, I don't have any money. Uh, you already knew that. That's why I was probably a bondservant in the beginning with. But, you know, uh, I don't have any money. Can I work for you? I promise it's going to be totally different this time, right? Uh, or he could even do the seven-year contract thing. According to Roman law, he could become a bondservant all over again, again, if he wanted to. And if he would want to, you could go to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 to describe what that relationship would need to be in the household of God. Okay? It would be for them, if that's what he chose to do. It would be for that working relationship with Onesimus and Philemon, contractually. And it also applies, therefore, to us. <laughs> it applies to us. If we work for anyone, or if we have anyone working for us, 
It is important for all of us to always remember that Jesus Christ is not only king of all kings, he's the CEO of all CEOs. He's the master of all masters, and he is the boss of all bosses. So no matter what is the legal or permissible at work, whether it's at work, whether it's legal and permissible at work, or in one's godless society, Old Testament, New Testament, 1st century, 21st century, in every generation and in every nation, we must at all times obey King Jesus. Therefore, even when we serve our earthly masters, we are really and ultimately serving Christ. So these next five verses, and it's a short passage, okay, we'll take the rest of our time though, just to unpack it and apply God's word to our hearts now that we understand even this first century context. Ephesians 6, for us today, 5 through 7. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. One thing I want all of you to take as you leave from here, and as many of you are going to go to work, either tonight or tomorrow morning, sometime, right? Okay. Uh, we are bondservants of Christ. First, foremost, ultimately, bondservants of Christ. And so, yes, as Paul says, obey your earthly masters according to the flesh. Yes, obey them. For you do have a job to do. You do have debts and bills to be paid. When y'all came to Jesus, right? Anybody pay off your mortgage and pay all your bills? Well, they didn't for me, right? And so we, we, you have a job, you have a work to do. But it's not man but God who has sovereignly determined your lot in life. So then when you serve your earthly masters, you are serving not only them, but the heavenly master who is master of all masters and who has called you into his service so that all that you do you do unto the Lord he has called you not to be man pleasers not by way of eye service as people pleasers so don't be an amazing bond servant just for your resume's sake just so that other masters will want to hire you or just so that people might want to pay you a lot more money now, all those three things are good to have a good resume, to actually have people that want to hire you because you are a good worker, uh, and to make a lot of money. Hey, right, all these are good things, amen? Okay, these are good things. But what matters the most is not what the world thinks of you, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, what matters most on the last day, as you see your heavenly master face to face, is what will he think of you? What will he think of the work that you have done? What will he say about how you worked diligently as unto him? As everything that you did, you did as unto the Lord. Not by way of eye service and man pleasers, but for Jesus. What will he think? What will he say? Will he think that you are an asset to your company? Will he think that you have done well in serving your family and advancing his kingdom on earth? Therefore, brothers and sisters, thinking about that last day when we meet our heavenly master face to face, let us work sincerely from our hearts 
and wake up every morning with our aim and our goal in life to live a life pleasing to King Jesus. Whatever each day might hold for you, for we are bondservants of Christ. And on that final day, each will receive rewards in accordance with their works. Yes, that's where Paul goes next in verse 8, that we will receive rewards for obedience to our heavenly master. Verse 8 says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from earthly masters? Not all the time, right? This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. We do not know what necessarily these rewards here, what we'll get. We could go to other passages and find specific crowns and rewards given for specific um, jobs done for Christ, works done for Christ. But we do know that what we shall receive shall come from the Lord's hand. And our Lord shows no favoritism. Uh, the two passages that come before this talk about husbands and wives. Husbands are not favored over wives. The next passage is parents and children. Parents are not favored over children. Nor are masters favored over slaves. No, not with Jesus. He shows no partiality, no favoritism. He will render rewards to each according to their work, according to what, they, what he has commanded them to do. And salvation, don't get me wrong, salvation is not a reward, okay? So we're not standing before him hoping that our good works somehow receive a reward. There are no good works except for the finished work of our perfect sacrifice and redeemer that warrants us salvation. It's not our work, but his. You know, my children, they like to do work around the house. They like doing extra work. They already have chores that they have to do that they don't get paid for. But there's other things that they do extra and above, right, that they know that if Daddy asks them, you know, we could work out a contract, if you will, right, and they become my bond servants. And so they will, right, they will, uh, they will serve for a little extra, you know, money. And, and hey, it's good, right? They work hard. They got to do the job right. And I tell them what they need to do. And I tell them for how much. And right now I don't, and I tell them this, I say, I'm not paying you because sometimes the jobs that can be done can only be done by the oldest. And then the youngest says, Hey, you like him more. No, he's just able to do this task. And this task is for this amount of money. I don't have favorites, truly. I don't have a favorite child. No, they're rewarded. He's being rewarded based on what we contractually agreed to and he's done the work, and he's done a good job, and now it's on my turn to reward him for it. Children do not, my children did not become my children by their works, right? Okay. Neither do we become children of God by our works. No, that's a work of God. We are born again by the Holy Spirit in the gospel. We are born of God to become his children. That is his work that he does. And when we become his children, guess what? He gives us work to do because we are also his servants. And he will reward us without any partiality or favoritism. And that's what he says to the masters in verse 9. Hey, masters, you do the same to them. You do the same. You treat them the way I'm going to treat them. Every lord, every master must model their lordship after Christ himself. Masters, do the same to them. And stop all your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, says Paul, and that there is no partiality with him. 
Masters, reward them fairly for their work. If you have anyone working under you, reward them fairly. No need to threaten them. Simply be consistent and show no partiality. R.C. Sproul was a great Bible teacher and theologian. In his commentary on our passage today, he calls for employers and employees of any company to ask, what would be different if Jesus were my CEO? What if he was the CEO of this company or whatever the highest level is within your company? Well, how would it be different if indeed Jesus is the master of all masters? If he were the master of your CEO, what would need to change? What if he was your direct supervisor? What would also change? How would your company change, but how would your behavior and attitude change if you knew Jesus was your direct supervisor? Man, we serve and we work as those doing our master's will. And all who are in authority must model their lordship after his. And your people should love to work for you. If you have people working under you, they should love to work for you. Not because you're lenient and they can get away with anything, but because like Jesus, you are both merciful and you are just. You are loving and you are kind and you are righteous and you are fair. You give clear commandments. You're willing to help them to succeed. And you reward them when they do well and you show no partiality if they don't. I want us to conclude with this final thought that comes from verse 9. That both their master and yours is in heaven. Think about that for a moment. Think about that thought. If you believed this, and you thought this way, day in and day out, everyone that you looked at, look at me, and you'd say, his master and mine in heaven. Lord of us all. How would that change not only the way you viewed your workplace? If you saw your workplace and said, you know what, Jesus is Lord. And you believed that, spoke that, lived that challenged others about that. But how also would it change the way you viewed all the world if you believed this? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that he rose again? Yes. Do you believe that he ascended to the right hand of the Father? Yes. Do you believe that all authority in heaven and on earth, as he said, was given to him? Yes. Well, then you believe that everyone, Christian or not, will one day have to give an account to King Jesus? Yes. For both their master and yours is in heaven. If Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is, there only remains here on earth the obedient and the disobedient to his lordship. Right? And those whose disobedience, praise the Lord, has been forgiven in Christ. But there is only obedient, disobedient. And those whose disobedience has been forgiven in Christ, and those who has not. Jesus remains the king of the world, even if he's not the king of your heart. Amen? Whew, imagine if you believed that as you go forth from here and actually told people that you believed it. If you believe that both their master and yours is in heaven, not only will that change how you view the workplace, it would change how you view politics. If you said both my master and yours is in heaven, uh, it would change how you view education. If you said both your master and mine is in heaven, Lord of all, 
You must now view all of creation as either submitting to Christ or rebelling against him. Now, I'm no expert on the future of America. But from what I've seen, it's not looking good. For many are wanting to deconstruct it all the way down, including its foundation. But as our forefathers knew, if you build the house on anything but the solid rock of Christ and his word, then it will come crashing down. Every nation, that's not just true of our nation, that's every nation under heaven, if they want true freedom and prosperity, must bow the knee to Jesus. The government, every government, every nation's government, high and low, must be founded upon his shoulders and the increase of his government and our willingness to submit to it, there must be no end. Do you want to see man set free, both spiritually and politically? Preach the good news that makes men free. We do not need more man-centered government to obey. We need more people set free from their sin and darkness and ordering their lives in submission and obedience to King Jesus. Oh, imagine, please, imagine, if you will, if everyone in your family and everyone in your neighborhood and everyone in our nation believed that both their master and yours is in heaven. And what if we all believe that one day the master would return? Let us pray. Oh Lord, how, how blessed we are that you are merciful for the ways in which we are disobedient to you. And yet you are faithful and just to pay the penalty for our sin. Lord, that not by our works, but by your finished work on the cross, your resurrection from the tomb, your glorious ascension to the right hand of the Father, that we are made to be your children and your servants. Father, I pray. I pray now, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that as we go forth from here, that we might live as unto you and you alone, that we would live without fear, of any persecution or any that would stand against you, but instead would declare the goodness of your good news that you are King. Oh Lord, may all bow the knee. May we continue to preach this gospel until every knee is bowed and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, thank you all again uh, for having me this morning. Um, as you go forth from here, and all that tuned, on, uh, tuned in as, as well. Uh, hey, as you go forth from here, I have this benediction for you that you can take with you and in your hearts. You want to stand for the benediction? From Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.
Amen? Amen. You are sent. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Click on the like button below, that little thumbs up icon. If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd be blessed by that. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at WBFVA. And we're also on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on Giving and follow the links from there. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in historic downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.